Medbay takes to the air on the Rural Radio Network, and we are off and running with all kinds of information coming up for you. And I've got Jason Jorgensen looking like the cat that ate the canary over here because he landed himself a big interview. Yeah, coming up on the show, we'll hear from the voice of Nebraska men's basketball, the one and only Kent Pavelka. Righty. Here we come. Let's uh, get uh, over to Shaley here first off before we get too deep into this thing and uh, find out what the team is doing on the ag topics today. Shaley, how are you? I am great and actually just starting to snow here in central Nebraska. Mm. A little weather update for you as well. Now that's exactly in, that's Worms, Nebraska you're talking about, right? Worms, (laughs) Nebraska. If you're looking to pinpoint it, it is snowing here. All right. When you say central Nebraska, that's a big chunk there. For a lot of us, it's been snowing for a while, my dear. Okay. Worms, (laughs) Nebraska, approximately a half mile south, quarter mile west. It's snowing here. Well, I got there you. you. Go. All right, we'll pinpoint that. <laughs> Mr. Duskett steals the show for us today on the ag side of things at 1219. Of course, the governor's ag conference is just around the corner, and so he's got Governor Ricketts' comments on that at 1219. At 117, he is back. Of course, he was in Phoenix last week for NCBA, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, annual national meeting, and he's got the new president, Kevin Kester, on at 117. And in ag news, Secretary Sonny Perdue gave testimony this morning on the state of the rural economy, so we'll be hearing about that as well. What does Sonny have to say about it in, in a word or two? Well, the big farm bill is the discussion there, and he's optimistic. We'll put it there. Okay. Very good, Shaley. Thanks very much. Appreciate the update, and we'll let you get back to it. Sounds good. Thank you. And Jason Jorgensen's over here with uh, the 1245 Newsmaker today. That's right, with uh, Camp Pavelka. We'll talk about the big Nebraska-Minnesota basketball matchup tonight. Now, of course, Minnesota's fallen off a cliff. One yeah. point, they were 13-3 and on the year, ranked in the top 10, but they've had some things happen with their team, whereas Nebraska started slowly and then has started to play much better. So we'll hear from Ken. Also in sports, we'll hear from... One of Nebraska's uh, backup forwards and posts, Tanner Borkart of Gothenburg, done a nice job helping out the Huskers in some spots. Uh, recruiting day and National Letter of Intent signing day is coming up tomorrow, and the Huskers have landed another pretty significant walk-on that a lot of uh, high school football fans in the state of Nebraska know who that is. And we'll talk some NFL coaching news as Josh McDaniels, new head coach at Indianapolis. All right. For him, he has to hope that it goes better than it did his first time around when he was the coach of the Denver Broncos. Yep. As far as Nebraska basketball, uh, you got to hope that they peak at just the right time. And we'll get Kent's thoughts on that. Okay. And we'll hear from Kent on what he thinks Nebraska's chances of making the NCAA tournament are. Right. As Kent will tell, just just win, baby. Just keep winning. <laughs> yeah, <that's where> <laughs> they need it. to keep winning. Quick uh, interruption here to remind you that this afternoon at 3 o'clock, Nebraska's property tax is the topic of our next Rural Radio Forum. You'll hear that on uh, the stations of the Rural Radio Network this afternoon, 3 to 4 p.m., sponsored by Plains Equipment Group, serving the Midwest with 15 locations where they are committed to your success. Speaking of which, here's Bob Brogan. U.S. stocks were on a bumpy ride early on this morning. They have recovered their losses by the lunch hour. Um, And so folks are kind of nervous about that situation. Also, uh, the U.S. trade deficit hit the highest level in nine years in 2017. Those and more coming up. On Midday. 
Time to take a look at the 880 Ag Weather Watch presented by Kuhlman Repair. And in for Paul Perkins, I'm Dirk Christensen today. And for the state of Nebraska, it's been a snowy one and continues to snow with a winter weather advisory in effect until 6 p.m. for parts of Nebraska's southwest and south central. And we are beginning to see that uh, snow that has uh, diminished somewhat as we look at southwest Nebraska. But across northern Kansas, it's been uh, one heavy snow band after another that has left in some areas up to 7 inches reported at St. Francis, for instance. Today, partly cloudy, and the snow is expected to continue with high temperatures from the 30s in the Panhandle to only the teens in the eastern Nebraska reaches. We'll be looking for variable cloudiness with a chance of snow through the evening for the east. 15 for the west, 0 to 10 above, expected for the east overnight. And on Wednesday, partly cloudy with high temperatures, probably reaching only about 42 in the panhandle, the mid to upper 20s for the central and east. So with all the uh, winds right now, and we have seen plenty of wind along with this very light and fluffy snow, and that makes for some pretty bad visibility conditions, especially when you get into some of that heavier traffic. So be aware of that. Also be aware that there could be some slick spots, particularly on untreated bridges and overpasses. For northeast Colorado, they've been seeing the snow showers and through the morning, and they are expected to see mostly to partly cloudy skies by later today and into tonight. As low temperatures will be down to 15 or 20, but here comes the rescuing warmer air as high temperatures Wednesday might reach 42 to 45 in the Colorado corner. Northwest and north-central Kansas still under that winter weather advisory with highs mostly in the mid-teens for today. That precipitation chance as it moves across northern Kansas is about 90%, accumulating uh, anywhere from 2 to 6 inches on average. Tonight, a low temperature near 8 and Wednesday mostly sunny. High temperatures should recover into the low 30s. For central Nebraska, the winter weather advisory remains in effect until 6 p.m. The accumulations expected to be between 1 and 2 inches and highs of 18. For tonight, partly cloudy, low of 9. And on Wednesday, partly cloudy, high temperatures reaching 28. Thursday, that's what we'll wait for with high temperatures reaching back into the low 40s. The Ag Weather Forecast calling for continued dry, hot pattern in central Argentina crop areas through the next several days. Hot weather through Wednesday and possibly on through Thursday, maintaining that high stress level on the reproductive and filling corn and soybeans right now. The private analysis firms are lowering yield and crop size projections. Showers and cooler weather are forecast for the end of this week. However, that's only expected to benefit crop just a little. Across Brazil, recent heavy rains over the Mato Grosso and as well as the Goiás area favor filling soybeans with some harvest delays that could occur, but delay potential is far outweighed by soil moisture benefits. Further south, mostly favorable conditions for crops in effect all the way from the Parana to Rio Grande do Sul at this time. In the southern plains of uh, the U.S., a round of snow today bringing some precipitation into the north and central areas, not enough to significantly improve the drought conditions. But cold weather is not expected to harm the wheat during this next week. However, longer-range projections are still suggesting the potential for a cold wave to move on into the region. And the northern plains and western Midwest, round of low pressure and periodic snow will cause transport delays along with livestock stress. Most severe cold impact expected up in North Dakota. 
Extended forecast for Nebraska is calling for Thursday to see partly cloudy skies and mostly cloudy moving in by the time we get to Friday with high temperatures in the 40s to low 50s in the southwest, upper 20s to low 30s northeast. On Friday, cloudy, chance of snow, highs again only reaching the teens to mid-20s. So there's that next cold snap. And on Saturday, mostly cloudy with again a chance of snow. High temperatures in the teens north, upper teens to mid-20s in the south. Nine above now here at the Lexington Studios and winds that are gusting up to 25. That'll put your wind chills right down on that zero mark with 79% relative humidity under light and blowing snow. And that is your ag weather. For more anytime, krvn.com brought to you by Coolman Repair. Secretary Sonny Perdue briefed the House Agriculture Committee today on the state of the rural economy. I'm Shaley Peters, joining you now for a quick check of ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. Today, the House Agriculture Committee hosted U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Perdue as he briefed members on the current state of the rural economy and the agency's recently released Farm Bill priorities. We're in a very different situation when you last contemplated a Farm Bill regarding commodity prices, and the fact are I wish they were better news, but there's a lot of stress and a lot of duress on the farms today. Uh, The only saving grace for that is we're talking about a constituency that's probably the most resilient among Americans and the most optimistic, or they wouldn't continue to do what they do year in and year out and uh, and putting a lot of the risk of their equity in the ground, uh, hoping for that next good crop. So uh, the the state of the rural economy is uh, fragile. But uh, the good news is that uh, I think for the most part, the 14 Farm Bill was a good pathway forward. I think as you all indicated and everyone recognizes, there are a couple of sectors there, particularly dairy and cotton, that uh, didn't fare as well. And I know that you all in this committee have been working forward uh, a solution on that. By and large, uh, uh, a safety net is really the goal of the Farm Bill, as well as uh, providing for those who... uh, don't have the resources for enough food, but uh, there are a lot of challenges out there. Purdue also talked a lot about the newly established Farm Production and Conservation Mission Area that has put a stronger focus on domestic agricultural issues and has provided the foundation for achieving a simplified one-stop shop for USDA's primary customers. In other ag news, after trending lower in late 2017, the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer turned higher in January. The monthly survey of 400 agricultural producers from across the U.S. indicated that the measure of producer sentiment climbed 135 points at the beginning of 2018, up 9 points from December's 126. Agricultural producer sentiment improved during January compared to a month earlier driven by improved expectations for the future and to a lesser extent by a perceived improvement in current conditions. In contrast, agricultural thought leaders' perspective on current economic conditions has been declining continuously since April 2017 and is now back within the range of readings observed throughout much of 2016. This month's survey provided the first opportunity to gauge producers' perception of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Acts of 2017 on their farming operations and their families' tax obligations. Responses indicated that although there is still a great deal of uncertainty regarding the tax bill's expected impact, more farm operators expect the bill to be beneficial to their farming operations and to lower their families' taxes than expect a negative impact in higher taxes. 
In an upcoming webinar from Nebraska Extension, we'll focus on the economics of producing forage on cropland. The webinar is scheduled for February 13th at 6 p.m. According to Beast Systems Specialist Mary Drunowski, current corn prices and limited availability of perennial grass have some producers wondering if growing forages on cropland might be the answer to feeding the cow herd. And finally, don't forget to join us this afternoon for an hour-long program to look at property taxes. Hosted by Scott Foster, the program will include interviews with senators of the three main property tax proposals in the legislature. Foster will also discuss the topic with UNL Ag Economist Dr. Brad Lubin and Extension Ag Economist Jim Jansen. That's the Rural Radio Forum starting today at 3 p.m. Central Time. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news. For more, visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Yesterday, Governor Pete Ricketts announced the agenda for the 30th Annual Governor's Ag Conference. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. The governor announced the agenda while on a media phone call. He began by explaining who should attend the event. The Governor's Ag Conference is a key event for the state's agricultural community. It's for Nebraska farmers and ranchers, agribusiness representatives, and policy and business leaders. Anybody who's got an interest in agriculture. The Governor's Ag Conference supports Nebraska producers by giving them a chance to share ideas, learn more about the future of agriculture, and one of the things that I think is one of the greatest benefits is the opportunity to create networks with other producers around the state. This year's conference starts Wednesday afternoon, March 7th, and then Thursday, March 8th, after lunch. We've got an outstanding lineup of speakers who are personally connected to agriculture in Nebraska. That means they understand the importance of Nebraska agriculture and the role it plays in the economic well-being of our state. To kick off this year's conference, we wanted to showcase some of those talented people that we've got here in our ag community. We're fortunate that Nebraska has industry leaders willing to step up and serve in significant national leadership roles. So our first panel presentation will feature Nebraska producers serving in national leadership roles. This panel will include Don Bloss, who's the chair of the National Sorghum Producers, Lynn Crisp, the first vice president of the National Corn Growers Association, Jim Miller, the chair of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Terry O'Neill, the president of the National Pork Board, and Craig Uden, the past president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Wednesday night is the annual Celebrate Nebraska Agriculture Reception, and the reception features an assortment of food and beverages from Nebraska, and it's always a wonderful opportunity to network. In order to keep growing Nebraska agriculture, we need to increase the export opportunities for our producers. Exports not only increase the value of our commodities, putting more money in the pockets of our farmers and ranchers, but they also generate additional revenue within the business sector of local economies. So, to kick off the conference Thursday, March 8th, we will have a panel presentation on international trade and the benefits gained from companies participating in Nebraska trade missions. These panelists know firsthand the importance of promoting Nebraska commodities, building existing relationships, and attracting new investments to the state as they've all personally accompanied me on various Nebraska trade missions. Another essential topic of discussion is creating growth and opportunities in rural Nebraska through agriculture. A panel representing ag companies that have built businesses and created jobs for our small Nebraska communities We'll discuss the importance of ag diversification in rural Nebraska. And we'll hear from companies like Costco, Hendricks, and Kelly Bean on their company's growth and the futures here in Nebraska. Over the lunch on Thursday, a familiar face will make his way back to Nebraska. Our keynote speaker will be Greg Ibom. 
Undersecretary of Agriculture for Marketing and Regulatory Programs of the USDA. Now, we might have had a little bit of a connection to get Greg here. Greg uh, will up- update the conference on participants for uh, agriculture activities at the federal level. The event will mark the first Governor's Ag Conference for the new Director of Agriculture, Steve Wellman. I'm really looking forward to this year's Governor's Ag Conference. We have an excellent lineup of Nebraska-based speakers who have all helped grow Nebraska agriculture over the years. And this year marks the 30th anniversary of the Governor's Ag Conference. And to have so many Nebraskans lined up to speak will make this conference very special. The 30th annual Governor's Ag Conference will take place March 7th and 8th at the Holiday Inn and Convention Center in Kearney, Nebraska. Reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska's walk-on class continues to grow. Elkhorn South running back and defensive back Moses Bryant has decided to take head coach Scott Frost up on his offer to join the team as a walk-on. Now, Bryant was a key cog on the field for Elkhorn South, which won a pair of Class B titles with him as a running back. He rushed for almost 5,500 yards and 94 touchdowns in his high school career. Husker football player Chris Weber is a winner of the Wayne Duke Award. That is given to one male and one female Big Ten senior pursuing a postgraduate degree. The Big Ten announced today that Weber will receive the $10,000 scholarship. Weber also was a walk-on linebacker at Nebraska. The Elkhorn High graduate earned a scholarship in January of 2016 and was a team captain last year. He majored in nutrition science with minors in mathematics and business. He has a 3.96 GPA and plans to enroll at the university's medical center in August. After his longest break of the year, the Nebraska men's basketball team is back in action tonight as the Huskers take on Minnesota. Now, Nebraska's been off since completing a stretch of four games in eight days with a road victory at Wisconsin on January 29th. A valuable member for the Huskers this year has been junior post Tanner Borkhart. Gothenburg native talks about the moment of this year that still sticks with him. It's not really a good moment. It's Kansas, you know, that's going to stick with us for a while. That dagger three in the corner, that put him up one, and we weren't able to come down from that. But that would have been a huge win for us in the program and, and staying uh, undefeated at home. And, but that's one thing that stuck with us this season, maybe kind of giving us a little edge, maybe why we're playing so well. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's the thing that comes to mind. Earlier this season, Borkhart earned a scholarship for head coach Tim Miles. Nebraska goes into this one at 17-8 and on the season. They're 8-4 and in Big Ten. They're looking for their first win in Williams Arena in 15 years. They will encounter a Gopher squad that was ranked as high as 12th in the country in December, but they've struggled of late losing eight out of their last nine. They did push 24th-ranked Michigan overtime before losing on the road. Tonight's game is scheduled to start at 8 Central. And the Colts, as expected, have hired Josh McDaniels as their next head coach. The hiring of the New England Patriots offensive coordinator was announced today. It's on the Colts' Twitter account. It comes a little more than three weeks after word had leaked that the sides were close to a deal. McDaniels was New England's offensive coordinator the past five years. Now, NFL rules prohibited the Colts from making the hiring official until after the Super Bowl. McDaniels won five Super Bowl rings with New England, but just went 11-17 and as Denver's head coach in 2009 and 2010. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Variable cloudiness across the state with still a chance of snow this evening in eastern Nebraska. Lows around 15 in the west to 10 above in the east. I'm Dave Schroeder. 
The Buffalo County Sheriff's Office continues to investigate the circumstances of a fatality crash that occurred on Highway 30 west of Kearney shortly after 4 p.m. yesterday. Preliminary information indicates a Toyota 4Runner lost control and crossed into the opposite driving lane where it struck a Kia SUV. Both occupants of the Kia died. They were identified as 27-year-old Keisha Wilson and 30-year-old Riley Wright, both of Kearney. The occupants of the Toyota, a grandson and grandfather, were transported to CHI Health Good Samaritan with injuries. They were identified as 33-year-old Brent Sonison and 81-year-old Gordon Sonison, both of Holdridge. The Sheriff's Office says weather and roadway conditions may be contributing factors in the crash. State transportation officials have announced they will remove highway guardrail end caps manufactured by a Nebraska company that have been the subject of lawsuits alleging safety defects. The Nebraska Department of Transportation said it is temporarily discontinuing the use of the L-Lite guardrail end caps, a system manufactured by Lindsay Corporation of Omaha. Officials say the only four light end caps currently used in the state are all on the Platte River Bridge south of Central City will be removed. The Lincoln Journal-Star reports the company is defending its product, saying that Lindsay, in a statement, said that when properly installed and maintained, hardware like the X-Lite would reduce the number and severity of injuries sustained in car accidents. Lawsuits in South Carolina and Tennessee blame the guardrails for deaths in those two states. New Kansas Governor Jeff Collier is requiring all employees and interns working for executive branch agencies to undergo annual sexual harassment training. Collier signed an executive order during a State House news conference Monday. The order applies to roughly 20,000 Kansas government employees who work for departments or agencies under the governor's direct control. It requires agencies to review their anti-harassment policies every three years. A Kansas bill would legally protect Good Samaritans who break into vehicles to save overheating children and animals. Lawmakers heard testimony Monday for the potential legislation. It would provide immunity from civil liability when a vehicle is damaged by a person trying to aid a vulnerable person or domestic animal in situations where there is an imminent danger of harm and law enforcement has been notified. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Jason Jorgensen back with you on Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Well, the Nebraska men's basketball team looks to keep it going tonight on the road in the Twin Cities is a battle Minnesota. Now, the Huskers are coming off their longest break of the season. They haven't played since January 29th when they tripped up Wisconsin. Before that, they'd had a busy stretch with four games in eight days. We are joined by the voice, the longtime voice of Nebraska men's basketball, Kent Pavelka. Kent, thanks a lot for the time. What a run by the Huskers the last six weeks or so. This has had to have been a lot of fun to follow. Really have. This is a, a team that's really developed as the season's gone along. You know, it, And we could have predicted that much because this is a, a roster full of guys that had never played together before. And I think it was uh, overly optimistic to think that they would put it together in November and December. But, you know, with a little bit of game experience, uh, and a lot of practice together. It's a it's a group that's really come together, and they're really good. I think I I think that they are um, deserving of all the chatter out there, and it's 
it's beyond the confines of Nebraska. I mean, you know, they're they're now being talked about as a bubble team, and with six games to go, um, getting into the NCAA tournament is a is a real possibility if they have a good finish. When you look at this year, what do you think was the turnaround game? Is there one moment that stands out to you t- to this point in the year? It's a good question. I, I'd have to look at the schedule. I guess it was um, it was the uh, whenever it was that James Palmer really stepped up. You know, I think that the chemistry was defined when he became the the alpha dog on this team. I think that you know Nebraska when we started this thing in the summer and fall and early winter. Everyone expected Glenn Watson to be the, the guy that would have to get it done offensively. And I think as things have developed, you've seen James Palmer and Isaac Copeland uh, step up in those roles uh, combined, and then complementary pieces are, are Glenn Watson and Roby and Evan Taylor. And that's not to minimize the contribution Glenn Watson has made. I mean, he's done a lot of things that don't show up in the in the box score, but he in in the end, did not have to be the guy to score every night. Today on Midday, we are joined by the voice of Nebraska men's basketball, Camp Pavelka, as the Huskers look to keep it rolling tonight on the road in the Twin Cities as they battle Minnesota. Kent, you talk about the Huskers being on the bubble. I know you've talked to some people. What's it going to take for the Huskers uh, to get in? Do they need to run the table here? How many wins do you think they need? <laughs> Well, I, I think, first of all, they got to win tonight. Um, the unfortunate thing is to, if you think about it, they're, they need to win every game, but they're not going to get much of a payoff for winning every game in terms of, you know, improving their RPI and that kind of thing. Uh, but if they lose, they're going to take a nosedive in terms of all the metrics. So, you know, it's kind of a no-win situation in that if they win every game, they're still on the bubble. And if, if they don't, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna fall in the in the metrics, and then that'll force them to win more games in the Big Ten tournament. So um, I don't know that there's a mag- magic number at this point. I just think that it's unfortunate that the reputation of the Big Ten has been maligned like it has this year. You know, they're talking about there's there's four teams that that are uh, locks to get in: Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and. You know, you take a look at last weekend. Uh, Rutgers gave Purdue everything it wanted. Illinois almost beat Ohio State. Um, Minnesota uh, gave Michigan a great game, and, and, and on and on it goes. But, uh, you know, if you think about that long and hard enough, what that means is the teams that are in the middle and, and lower echelon in the standings are, are way better than they're giving credit for. So, um, you know, in the end, I think Nebraska's already established that if, if the Huskers can do well in these last six games, that they should get in. But I don't know if it's going to it's going to work that way. That was a big win for them at the time over Minnesota back before Christmas. Doesn't quite sound like the Huskers are taking on a, a Gophers team tonight that that's playing quite as well as they were. Well, they've lost uh, some pieces. You know, Reggie Lynch has been thrown off the team. Amir Coffey's been injured. I don't know if he'll play tonight or not. But they still got Nate Mason and. And Jordan Murphy, and two of the best team players in the Big Ten Conference. If you watched Minnesota against Michigan uh, this weekend, uh, I don't think you'd say they're that far off. Um, again, I think they're a great example of a team that's um, playing better right now than they're being given credit for. And I think the game tonight's going to be a tough one to win. I really do. And that was. 
And that was the voice of the Huskers, Kent Pavelka, joining us today on Midday. So Nebraska goes into this one tonight against Minnesota. They are 17-8 and overall, 8-4 and in Big Ten action. But as Ken alluded to, the, the Big Ten is not getting the praise and the respect that it has in the past. There are some folks saying that just four schools from the league may ultimately go to the NCAA tournament of the past. It's been a whole lot more than that. See if the Huskers can get it done tonight. Nebraska will be looking to try to break another streak. They have not won in Williams Arena in 15 years. Tip-off tonight between the Huskers and the Gophers is set for 8 o'clock Central Time. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. And next we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities in the Livestock Futures Trade, which uh, had a negative day, Joe. Yes, it was. It's a follow-through to yesterday, and I think there's several factors that really affected uh, all the livestock markets today. Number one, the uneasiness in the uh, equity markets, uh, and uh, the strengthening dollar, which uh, could disrupt uh, some of our good export business that we've had lately in uh, in livestock, uh, both cattle and hogs. So uh, that and, and just a general uneasiness uh, right now and technically uh, we have some uh, negative uh, uh, formations uh, and so that uh, played out in uh, in the cattle, the feeders and in the hogs today uh, cutouts though were uh, higher in all in the uh, cattle and the uh, pork but uh, the volume in the, in the uh, trade not real brisk so didn't supply any uh, uh, positive attitudes to the markets, and we uh, generally just stayed lower uh, most of the day. Tried to rally several times in the cattle, but uh, failed each time. So looks like uh, uh, just a, another uh, follow-through day uh, to yesterday's big break. Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, at 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter. Through the first two days this week, estimated at 230,000, 4,000 less than last week, but 8,000 more than a year ago. Hog slaughter projected at 427,000, 6,000 less than a week ago, but 40,000 more than a year ago. This is the Rural Radio Network. The 2018 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show wrapped up in Phoenix, Arizona this weekend. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit. The convention signals a change in leadership for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Nebraskan Craig Uden stepped down and Kevin Kester took the reins of the organization. I'm a fifth generation rancher from the central coast of California, a little ranching community called Parkfield, population 18, but I'm not even really sure where all 18 people are at, but uh, family's been ranching in that area since 1867 and we're a commercial cow-calf operation with also stalkers involved, and, and we also own a couple wine grape vineyards in, in, on our ranch so, uh, for diversification. So that's kind of what we do. As you prepare to take the reins of this organization, what are some of the most pressing issues that uh, you see facing this industry? Well, it's an exciting time. So what a difference a year makes in Washington, D.C. So uh, what I see forward is pressing and continuing and new. We've got a blend of things. Uh, continuing on our trade expansion, uh, that is the... Uh, the fundamental success uh, area where we need to keep working on. So trade has been a real success. We got 
a lot of improvements to do and new opportunities such as China and, and markets like that. So we'll keep working on trade. Uh, we're going to keep working with the administration on reforming regulations and regulatory pressures. So uh, we have good working relationships at EPA now, Interior, the USDA, uh, down the line. So uh, that is uh, things that I'm excited about to keep on uh, pressing with the administration. We have the 2018 Farm Bill coming up. So we have our priorities through the conservation title, research title, and our ask uh, something new is for foot and mouth disease vaccine bank in this new Farm Bill and some funding for that. So in and so we're working on that. We've got some new things coming up. We've uh, made a priority to have uh, anti uh, antibiotics as a, a priority, and uh, we got uh, the FDA. I think in the next uh, few years, two or three years, uh, could be putting out some potential regulations on requiring prescriptions for all livestock antibiotics in the U.S. and things like that. So we have to be proactive on those potential regulations. And then we have something emerging on, on fake meat. Uh, emerging. We've got policy that's coming out of our meetings here in Phoenix to start to address that because we don't have anything on the books for fake meat and petri dish and other products that they're going to call themselves meat. Uh, we want to be at the forefront and not end up like the milk industry where we uh, potentially are behind the eight ball on the language and marketing claims and false marketing claims in particular. We want to protect the branding we've had for decades with uh, our grading system and our claims of safe and nutritious uh, meat across the beef across the, the country. And so we're going to be addressing those kinds of issues on uh, potentially fake meat uh, claims. And so those are kind of what I see as the five biggest things we're going to be working on this year. Kevin, final thoughts from you as you're about ready to embark on a year of service with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, it's a, it's a thrill and an honor and a privilege to represent the cattle and beef industry across this nation. So it's important. And my, the reason I do this is I want to keep my seventh generation in business and have them, if they choose the opportunity to continue ranching, as well as every other ranching and farming family in this country, their future generations. That's why I do what I do. And I'm going to work really hard this year to ensure that we do everything possible as a trade association to make us all successful. That was Kevin Kester, incoming president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I caught up with him at the 2018 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show that wrapped up last week in Phoenix, Arizona. Next year's convention is in New Orleans. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit. Grains closed higher today. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. What led the way today? Argentina. Argentina. So that's going to be the theme here, probably as you talk to folks throughout the back end of the week. Get your weather analysts on there. We have a chance of rain this Friday, uh, but if it doesn't hit in the right areas, we could wake up Sunday night with, uh, with a market that looks a lot different. Starting to see some of the private analysts come out and downgrade the crop now. And Forma came out today, who is usually very conservative, uh, dropped the crop from 42 million metric tons down to 38, and then pegged Brazil at 88. Now, not to, these numbers, obviously, as you listen to the radio, don't mean a lot. But a year ago, between the two countries, they produced 137 million metric tons of corn. This year, we're looking at 20, 123 million metric tons, and that is probably falling. So you're going to look at a 15 to 20% hole in the market now, and I think the corn here in the U.S. is going to become a little more valuable based off the kind of 
forward pull that we're going to need from these export markets. I expect U.S. exports to be good. I expect the markets to continue to buy on the way up here. So uh, you also have the momentum trade that's kind of carrying over from the stock market sell-off that seems to be benefiting the, the real shorted markets like corn. So shorter term here, I, 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 you know, these are weather rallies. Essentially, you can sell into them, and then, you know, if Argentina gets rain and all of a sudden we bring their, their crop up 6, 7 million metric tons again, you know, it's a different. In this moment in February, we're way down the road from that. Is uh, we don't get rain this weekend, they're not looking at anything uh, past the next two weeks. So uh, I don't know. I got a little bit bullish skip in my step today mm-hmm. as to the move we've seen. Are the contracts benefiting from a change then in these chart signals? Well, the highest close we've had now since September first, uh, from month wise, March. Looks to me like on its way up to 370, 375. It's going to have to get to a point, I think, to, to pull corn now, you got to get the producer, one, who's willing to sell it. And I think there's a lot more. But once we get beyond this March time period, it's about what cash flows. And at this point, I don't even know if you look off the May contract and factor in the basis, is 350, 340 really going to cash flow for a lot of people. So, um, you know, I think there's it's going to be a tough road to hoe to get this thing to $4 on the front month without a U.S. weather story. But right now, it's dry out west. Dry in South America and really wet in Brazil, and uh, again, these short positions are starting to peel off. You will probably have some farmers selling. I imagine the USDA report won't give us much bullish news to talk about, but I would imagine we're going to get a little love here as we go into delivery. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Market Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. This corn closed today four to four and three quarters higher. Soybeans fourteen to sixteen and a half higher. Kansas City wheat seven and a quarter to nine cents higher. This is the Rural Radio Network.